Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and we thank and praise you for your goodness to us, allowing us to assemble together. We ask now that you would help us as we study your word, teach us from it, encourage us. And Lord, we just ask for your grace to give us strength to serve you each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Just a... Is this mic on? Just a few announcements. Um, let's uh, keep the Newberger family in prayer. Brother Mike's had to go back down to spend some time with his parents. Uh, there's been just some uh, complicating things coming in with the passing of his brother. And so just, just want you to keep him in prayer as he's trying to uh, help his mother and father. And, of course, he himself dealing with all of the uh, circumstances surrounding that. And uh, continue to pray for the church there at North Brooklyn, that uh, the Lord will do His work and establish their church. And so uh, let's just make sure we're in our places. And uh, we finally set some dates uh, for a bike trip. This is men and teenagers. It'll be July 13th, which is a Monday and uh, July 14th, we'll leave early Monday morning, be back Tuesday night. And uh, if you want to go, uh, we need to know as soon as possible. Uh, it's just going to be men and teenage boys. We're going to try to uh, trek about, uh, I think the actual counts, about 48 and a half miles in two days. Uh, and so it's, it's not going to be for the faint of heart, but uh, we're going to try to uh, give a little challenge there physically as well as spiritually. And uh, especially some of our teens have never had an opportunity to do anything like this in their lives. And so we'd like to get them out there and, and just show them it can be done. Amen. And uh, so just want you to uh, pray about that. And uh, we have an event coming up for our ladies. We're going to let you, uh, teen ladies and that, we'll let you know. But uh, just want to uh, keep Andrew in prayer as he's trying to work out all the details, all right? And so uh, just want to let you know to get that on the schedule and also... The uh, other big event of our summer is the Youth Conference. That is the first week in August, and that's in Oklahoma City. And uh, we'll be traveling out there for that. So, Brother Franz, come lead us, and then we'll get right into our Bible. If you need an outline, uh, wave your hand there, and we'll try to have uh, Andrew or whoever's passing them out to get you one. And uh, we are finally closing in on our study of the Minor Prophets. Uh, we have Micah and uh, Zechariah, basically, uh, Zechariah actually are, no, Zechariah are the last two that uh, we have not yet covered. Uh, tonight we're going to work on Amos, and uh, kind, uh, I've just titled him a rough prophet for an evil time. Uh, Amos uh, was not a uh, refined gentleman, he was not a... Uh, student of the local Bible college. He was not a son of the prophets, uh, as many of the prophets were. Uh, he was just an individual that God came and got a hold of. And Amos has nine short uh, chapters 
And uh, most of it is very, 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 very negative. I mean, uh, he uh, was, in in his prophesying, he was uh, at times uh, very harsh and and directive. I mean, he didn't uh, uh, fail to uh, point his finger in faces and say, this is what is going to happen to you. And uh, uh, there are times when we need that kind of prophet, when we need that kind of preaching. And, and yet, as we see in Amos and most of his prophecy, it was not going to be listened to. But God still wanted His people to know that His Word was going to be fulfilled. And so, uh, let's just dig in here. Verse 1, the words of Amos, who was among the herdsmen of Tekoa. Now, that region of Tekoa is, is well known. I mean, we, it uh, still... Uh, the the ruins of that city are in existence today. It's just a uh, uh, a little way south of uh, Bethlehem, out in the southern plains. It was a place where the sheep uh, were kept. Uh, it was not a place where uh, people lived in in fine homes and, and splendor. They were. Uh, much more simple and rustic people. We might say it was out in the sticks or, or in the boonies, depending on what, uh, if you're from West Virginia, it'd be down in the holler. And uh, that's where Amos came from. And we get here, let's go to chapter 7. And uh, Amos is going to be condemned and he's going to be told to go prophesy somewhere else. And in verse 14, Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdman, herdsman, herdman, I'm sorry, and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go prophesy unto my people Israel. And so that's who Amos was. He was a contemporary of Hosea. And unlike uh, Hosea, though there are parts of Amos that are are positive, that uh, have, and it ends with a blessing, the promise of God's restoration uh, of Israel. But Amos came during the reign of Jeroboam, that's the grandson of Jehu, and also Uzziah, king of Israel, who was a long reign. And this was a, a time of... Basically, prosperity. Jeroboam uh, was able to reestablish the borders of Israel, if you remember, all the way back to the realm of David. I mean, he went all the way to uh, near the Euphrates River. He was able to ensure that there was no interference from uh, outside forces during most of his reign. And, And it was a time of basic Prosperity. They said of King Uzziah that he was a lover uh, of, of vineyards, of agriculture. And of course, if you've got invading armies marching through your land, you can't enjoy that kind of stuff because they destroy those things. And so 
while it was a quote-unquote good time, what was going on in the hearts of the people was absolutely unacceptable. And that's why Amos shows up. Uh, There are some repetitions in the book of Amos. And I thought it would be interesting for us just to approach Amos. Of course, uh, we're not going to, as as we have not with other books, uh, cover every verse. Uh, We're just picking up the highlights. But I want you to go to verse 3 of chapter 1. And this is the first time, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. And then they list, then God lists the sin of Damascus because they have threshed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. And he goes through and tells what he's going to do. And we come down to verse 6. And the city of Gaza comes up. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof. And these words are repeated in verse 9 for Tyrus, in verse 11 for Edom, in verse 13 for Ammon, chapter 2, verse 1 for Moab, uh, chapter 2, verse 4 for Judah. And then lastly, in chapter 2 and verse 6, God gets around to the nation of Israel. And that's where Amos spends the majority of his prophecy. The idea here is that not that uh, Damascus had sinned against God three times and did a fourth and God was done with them. Uh, The idea was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There was just no end in sight. There was no repentance. There was no hopes of repentance. The people were continuing in their sinful rebellion against God. And God said, you've sealed your fate. In fact, there'll be times where Amos is going to, um, however you want to look at it, uh, with a note of sarcasm or or actually uh, more of a taunt, he's going to say, go up to Bethel. Go to the false gods and sin. Inquire of the... He said, if you're going to do it, go do it. Because God is going to judge you. And so, uh, Amos was an equal opportunity doomsayer. Uh, I mean, if you know your geography, Damascus was north of the land of Israel. Gaza was the southeast seacoast. Uh, Tyrus was the North Sea coast. Edom was the uh, South and East. Ammon was, and Moab were Central East. And then the land of Judah and Israel. So it's that whole area that today we call properly the Middle East was being prophesied against by Amos. And so... Uh, eight times he's going to repeat for three transgressions and for four. I'm not going to turn away the punishment. It is a done deal. God's punishment is coming. Then the word judgment and, and different forms of, of judge is used about five times in the book. 
twice, it's interesting how that, uh, let's go to uh, chapter 5 and verse 7. It says, Ye who turn judgment into wormwood and leave off righteousness in the earth. Now, Amos is speaking to a particular group of people. And he said, you take judgment and you turn it into wormwood. Now, if you'll remember, that term wormwood is used in our Bible a few times. It, it means extreme bitterness or poison. And uh, it says, you've taken the judgment of God. Now, if, if, the, if you want an interesting study to do on your own, go through Psalm 119. And look at how many times the word judgment is used. And how David says, I delight in thy judgment. And thy judgment is good. And, and thy judgment protects me. And, my ju- and, and God's judgment teaches me. You know, we, we live in a world that's not unlike Amos' world. When's the last time you heard somebody say, well, that Bible's just a book of judgment? Uh, that's what was going on in Amos' day. You know what? God's judgment is part of His holiness. If God is holy, and He is, He is the only holy one, then this idea of a judgment for wrong has to be there. But we have evolved in our understanding of, quote-unquote, God as the uh, smiley face and all of those things that we discount God's judgment. And when God's judgment comes, we, we talk about how bitter and how awful it is, and yet, Let me tell you something. It's God's judgment that keeps us in the way. It's the difference between right and wrong. That's what David said in Psalm 23. Thy rod and thy staff, what do they do? They comfort me. Well, what was Israel saying? They rod and thy staff torment me. Why? Because I want to do wrong and I don't want you to stop me. And and this is going to be repeated and it's going to be... uh, Let's just go over to chapter 6 and verse 12. And again, we're just picking up some highlights through uh, the prophecy of Amos because we want to cover the... I want to cover the entire book all night in one night. But... It says, Shall the horses run upon the rock? Will one plow there with oxen? For ye have turned judgment into gall, and the fruit of righteousness into hemlock. He said, You've taken God's judgments that are supposed to protect you, to keep you, to comfort you, to guide you, to lead you, and you've turned them into gall. You've turned them into utter bitterness, something to be detested, something uh, that when Jesus was on the cross, they gave him vinegar mingled with gall to deaden his senses. And, 
And the other prisoners, of course, took that willingly, but Jesus refused it because he wanted to be in perfect control of everything that was going on, even during his suffering. And it says, you've turned the fruit of righteousness into hemlock. Now, hemlock is a deadly poison. It says, you've taken the blessings of righteousness and made them poison. That's how utterly corrupt the nation of Israel had become. And that's why God sent Amos to prophesy. Twice we have a call to establish judgment, to to live in judgment, that there could be a little easing, some release. Let's go back to uh, chapter 5 and, and verse 6. It says, Seek the Lord and ye shall live, lest he break out like a fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel. Ye who turn judgment into wormwood and leave off righteousness in the earth. And we come down here to, um, to verse 24 of the same chapter. And it says, But let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. And what God is saying here in the general context is you come and you worship and you have a big party and you have lots of music and you celebrate your feast and I will have none of it because it's not connected to judgment. I mean, as I read, read even in some commentaries and, and we read uh, the things that are written about our society and what's going on today. We have people that say, you know, the problem is our police department. You heard that lately? What we need to do is we need to make the police disappear and we won't have any problems. How many of you believe that? Uh, I hope you don't. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what gets rid of criminals. It's having policemen in the area, on the street, walking around, driving around. Uh, but that's what people want to say. That's what they tell us in school. We need to get rid of the rules. And when you add two plus two and get five, it's okay. Uh, you'll, you'll learn the difference later on. Uh, there's no use to write in red on a child's paper and warp their personality. Uh, would to God we would warp some young personalities to the right board, amen? Uh, that's what this is. That's what the Bible talks about in being conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, God wants to change us. And Israel had rejected God's judgment. It was terrible to them. How could a God of love make a place called hell? I mean, these are things that you hear on a fairly regular basis. It's a reflection of what was going on in Amos' day, what goes on in our day, what goes on when a people wholly reject God's word. Now, one of the words that, the, the word that's used the most repetitively in in the book of Amos is the word day and days uh, used 18 times in nine short chapters. 
And what God is saying here is, my judgment is coming. There is a point in time. It is going to happen. In fact, he accuses in, uh, let me see, I think I have the reference here. Uh, in chapter 6 and verse 3, it says, You put off the day of God's judgment. You, you say it's not going to happen for a long time yet. And God says, You're wrong. It's coming. And yet, at the very end of the book, twice in the last three verses, God says, In that day, I'm going to rebuild Jerusalem. I'm going to rebuild the tabernacle of David. I'm going to bless them as a nation again. And so we see that God is concerned about time twice in the book. Uh, And I want us to go to these passages. Let's go to chapter 7 and verse 8. Chapter 7 and verse 8. And we'll return here when we do the overview of the entire book. But it says, And he showed me, let's read verse 7, Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, A plumb line. Then said the Lord, Behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people, I will not again pass by them anymore. Now, twice in this book, he's going to say, I'm not going to pass by them anymore. He said this through Nahum to the uh, people of of, uh, Nineveh, that God was going to judge them, and once he was done, there wasn't going to be anything left to judge the second time. That's, That's what this phrase means. God says, I have established my measuring line. I have set a plumb line up. Uh, how many of you have ever used one of those things? Uh, both Andrew and Stephen are waving their hand because when you have a building like ours that does not have one square corner in it, uh, there's only one way to try to set up something straight. And that's a plumb line. Uh, it's a string with a weight. And the bottom of the weight is pointed so that you can put the string on the ceiling and drop it to the floor. And we have this little thing called the law of gravity. And what that's going to do is it's going to make the plumb line fall straight. Unless you put your thumb in the wrong place. But... If you mark your line on the ceiling and drop a plumb line, you can know that you're on the exact spot in the floor that corresponds in a straight line to that place in the ceiling. God said, I've got a wall that I built with a plumb line. One of the reasons there are no square corners in this building is because the original walls were made out of plaster. Now, do you know how you make a plaster wall? is you just get the stuff and you plaster it on the wall. You put the scratch coat first, and then you smear the next coat uh, with the horse hair in it, and then you put the finished coat of plaster on there. And and many of these walls were originally done uh, with a design stamped into the plaster, and then when the fire came, you couldn't get the smoke out of the design, and so they just nailed some boards on top of that and put paneling over it, and voila! 
What a mess. Uh, it's interesting. He says, I've set a plumb line. I'm going to measure my people. And I'm not passing by the second time. You come up on the wrong side of that measurement, you're toast. You're done. It's finished. And then let's go over to chapter 8. And the other sign that he gives them and says, I won't pass by this way again. In verse 2 of chapter 8. And he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, The end is come upon my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them any more. God said, I'm just not going to, uh, I'm not going to attend. I'm not going to listen to them. I'm not going to be there when they celebrate their feast. We, we wonder how the nation of Israel had moved from where they were in the book of Nehemiah to where they were when Jesus walked the earth. Here's why. The the pattern had been set, and God says, it's done. Now, summer fruit was not the harvest. You didn't plant summer fruit. It kind of grew wild and they just went out and they gathered it and God says, just like that temporary little bit of summer fruit, he said Israel's going to be temporary. I'm moving them out. I'm done with them. I'm not going to pass by them again. You know, that kind of reminds me uh, of the story of a father who was trying to discipline his son and instead of of uh, confronting and, and dealing with the thing he was absolutely silent and finally after a period of time the son feeling the guilt of his deeds came to his father and said dad why, why didn't you punish me why didn't you uh, uh, deal with me on this situation He said, because I figured if you weren't man enough to come to me and talk to me about it, it wasn't worth dealing with you about. And the son reports of having a terrible broken heart over this issue and getting right with God and doing things right. But there comes a time when God says, listen, I'm done. I'm not going to deal with it anymore. I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to stop you. You don't want judgment? I'm going to take it away. You know, some of us, I I have not, uh, but some have had the uh, privilege or the terror of driving in societies where there are no traffic rules. I've heard of a place where, um, I'm trying to think of where it was, maybe in India or something like that, but... The biggest vehicle makes the rules. And you just follow the biggest truck, whatever he decides to do, and you'd better get out of his way because if he runs over you, that's his right as the biggest vehicle on the road. Now, if I lived in that country, I'd want the biggest thing I could get a hold of. How about you? Um, I, I like traffic laws. You know why? 
because it keeps us all safe. And so, here is the book of Amos. There's a lot of repetition through the book of Amos. And God is using Amos not only to be a messenger to Israel, but to be a messenger to all of the areas that touch Israel. All of the countries round about. And so, uh, in, in verse 2, and, and he said, the Lord will, uh, chapter 1, we're just going to walk our way through the book and touch on a few verses and then we'll be done. It says, and he said, the Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem and the habitations of the shepherds shall mourn and the top of Carmel shall wither. And then he goes on that Damascus will be punished, Gaza, Tyrus, Edom, Ammon, Moab, Judah, and Israel. And we get down to chapter 2 and verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. They pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor. They turn aside the way of the meek. And a man and a father will go unto the same maid to profane my holy name. And they lay themselves down upon clothes laid to pledge by every altar. And they drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. Now, you just cannot have a more complete and utter record of degradation and corruption than what God gave to the land of Israel. There's nothing they do that is right or moral or clean or good. And then God asks some questions. He says, I want you to think about history. Who lived in your land before you lived in your land? How many of you remember back to Numbers chapters 13 and 14 when they sent the 12 spies into Canaan? What did they say? They said... We're like grasshoppers in their sight. Huge giants of people living in huge walled cities. And I love the wording there in the book of Numbers. It says, we were like grasshoppers in their sight. And that's what they thought of us, basically, is what they said. Now, I wonder which one of those ten cowards had enough courage to walk up to one of those uh, seven-foot Ammonites and say, what do you think of me because I'm coming to conquer your land? Do you think they had the courage to do that? You know, people, cowards always like to write on other people what they're thinking. Forty years later, they came back to that land and conquered every one of those giants. And old Caleb at 85 years old says, I want Hebron because that's where the big ones are. He said, that's going to be my land. And God said, I destroyed them for doing things not as bad as what you've done. The question of history. And look, look here as we follow this 
thought here in verse 10. Also, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you 40 years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up your sons for prophets and of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not even thus, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord? But you gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets, saying, Prophesy not. Behold, I am pressed under, under you as a cart is pressed that is full of sheaves. This is what God says to the children of Israel. He says, when you see a cart and the weight that is put on that cart presses down on the axles and on the wheels and it starts making those deep imprints in the ground underneath of it, God says, that's the way I feel because of what you've done to me. And then we get to chapter 3 and and God asks some questions through Amos. Amos. He says, verse 3, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Isn't that a great question? And and it's one that we need to ask today. In in fact, today's clarion call to answer to this question is, well, let's agree to disagree. How many times have you heard that one? It, It doesn't work. If you think that you're going to get where you're going by going to the left, and the person says, no, we're going to get there by going to the right, and you sit there and argue back and forth, you you cannot choose a route until both of you are agreed. That's all that it's saying here. And we look at this statement here, and, and we say, listen... How can we serve the Lord if we don't agree on what serving the Lord is? That's why we don't participate with the Billy Graham crusade. That's why we don't participate with promise keepers when it was going. Because we're not going to agree to disagree. We're going to agree as to what the Word of God says. And and that question was asked. Now let's look at the next one. Verse 4, will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? And will a young lion cry out of his den if he hath taken nothing? Look at verse 5. Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where no gin is for him? Can a bird be caught in a trap where there's no, no one set the trap to catch him? And we look here. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in a city and the Lord hath not done it? Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. The lion hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord God hath spoken, who can but prophesy? Now these are just some incredible questions that... God puts forth through the, the name, uh, uh, through his prophet Amos. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to reason with Israel. He's trying to give them an understanding. 
that God is not playing games here. He's not just exercising himself so that he can, uh, so that his prophets will be known as mean and harsh men. No, there's judgment that is connected to this, and God is going to judge his people. We come down to chapter 5. And uh, in chapter 4, the warnings are there. In verse uh, 1, it says, Hear this word, ye kind of Bashan, that are in the mountain of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, Bring and let us drink. Verse 9, I have smitten you with blasting and mildew when your gardens... And your vineyards and your fig trees, your olive trees increased. The palmer worm devoured them, yet ye have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. And it, and it goes on to talk about God's judgment. In verse 5 it says, But seek not Bethel. Nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Seek the Lord, and ye shall live. Verse 14 says, Seek good, and not evil. Verse 15, Hate evil, and love the good. And establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. Now look at verse 13. Therefore the prudent shall keep silence in that time, for it is an evil time. You know, sometimes it's best just to be quiet. When someone has determined they're going to destroy themselves and rebel against God, it says the prudent kept silence, yet the plea here is to turn back to God. We get into chapters um, uh, 6 and 7. We have God's warnings, and uh, God speaks through Amos to the prophet at Bethel and pronounces evil upon his family and, and upon what is going on here and polluted the land. We get to chapter 8 and it says, Thus hath the Lord showed unto me, Behold a basket of summer fruit, it's over. And uh, we come all the way down to verse 11 of chapter 9. It says, In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen, and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Eden, and of all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord that doeth this. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him that soweth seed. And the mountains shall drop down sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. And I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel, and they shall build the waste cities, 
and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. And they shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled out of their land which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. We look at the promise, the prophecy of Amos. And it is an old, rough-hewn man, not used to societies and fine livings, giving God's word. Uh, I want us to finish up, actually, with chapter 7. Because what goes on in chapter 7 is so... uh, Reminiscent of our day and of the time in which we live. Chapter 7, Thus saith the Lord, Thus hath the Lord God showed me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth, and lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowing. And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee, By whom shall Jacob arise, for he is small? The Lord repented for this. It shall not be, saith the Lord. Do you get what's going on? God is showing Amos a vision. They had just taken the first clippings of the hay, and the grass was really growing now, and this would be the main fodder for the winter months. And the grasshoppers came and devoured it to the earth. And Hosea prays to the Lord and says, Lord, if you destroy all the food for the animals, how is Jacob going to rise? And it says the Lord repented him and said, this isn't going to be. What is Amos doing? He is interceding to God on behalf of Israel. And he's going to do that a second time. Look at verse 4. Thus hath the Lord showed unto me, and behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire, and it devoured the great deep, and did eat up a part. Then said I, O Lord God, cease, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise, for he is small? The Lord repented for this, this also shall not be, saith the Lord. Then he showed the passage we've already read. A plumb line and a wall that was built with the plumb line. And God says, I'm going to measure my people. Then we get down to verse 10. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their land. Also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go, flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread and prophesy there. But prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel and the king's court. Now, do you get what's going on here? We have... Amos, who is interceding to God that his greatest judgments would not be poured out on the land of Israel. And then we have Amaziah, 
who is the prophet, or the, I mean the priest at Bethel, the chief place where Israel worshipped since the days of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And what does he say? We don't want to hear the words of the Lord. We want you to get out of here. We want you to take you and your preaching and go away. You know, we live in a day where people just don't want to hear the truth. And yet, what do we do as we pray? We pray for our country, do we not? We pray for the very leaders that despise God and the truth that is in His Word. And God is holding back that judgment. But they don't want to hear it. Now, God's judgment is coming. We're not going to stop it. But what we need to do is we need to be like Amos and point people to the words of God. Amen. That, that's what Amos did. Not everyone was destroyed in Israel. There were some that sought after God. And you read in the days of Josiah, which would have been... Uh, probably um, 25, 30 years or so after this time, maybe as many as 50 years, that many from the northern tribes came and began to dwell in the land of Israel and worship the God of Israel. But those ten tribes were destroyed and were led out of their land. I'll tell you, it was an evil day. And as we might say, a rough or a tough or a rough and tough prophet named Namus, he said, I'm not trained to be a preacher. He said, apparently there was nobody left and God called me. Tell you what, God's still looking for good men and good ladies to stand up and just simply point people back to the words of this book. And that's what Amos did. And we know the end of the prophecy. We know the end of the judgment of God. It's going to end with the new Jerusalem hovering over this earth. It's going to end with a thousand years of the Prince of Peace ruling from the city of peace. We serve a good God. Don't get tired of his judgments. They're your protection. They're what keeps you. His judgments ought to be sweet to us. Uh, I love what David said. Uh, I believe it's Psalm 119, verse 89. He says, Thy commandment is exceeding broad. I have more freedom limiting myself to the obedience of God's word than if I could do anything I want. That's the God we serve. And all God's people said. Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. We thank you for the prophecy of Amos. Lord, we ask that you would make us mindful of the world in which we live, of people's attitudes toward thy word. And Lord, that we would never allow ourselves to grow weary with the difference between right and wrong. 
that we would seek You and Your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just give a moment. If you'd like to slip out and spend a little time in prayer, the altar's open. God's people said, Amen. Let's stand together. Page 51 if you need the words as we're dismissed tonight.